Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a very special guest. His name is Ty Morgan, and he's a father of three, a business owner, and an investor. But Ty had a very unique experience. On September 29th, 2020, Ty's son, Grayson, was 18 weeks in utero and he was diagnosed with a serious medical condition known as bilateral renal agenesis. And if you don't know what that is, don't worry, because we will go into that in a bit more detail. In, in short, it means uh, what Grayson had was his kidneys weren't developing. And if you know anything, you can't live without kidneys. So Ty and his wife, Alexis, were given two options, abortion or carry uh, to term with stillbirth. You know, Ty was very resilient and he refused to accept both of those options. Welcome, Brace, or welcome, Ty. Thank you, Dr. Allen. I appreciate you having us here. And we're excited to be able to share our story and our testimony of faith. Yeah. How did it feel? When you went to the medical establishment and they gave you two options, both of which were not very palatable. Right. So, you know, for us, I think it was on September 16th of 2020, uh, we went for a regular checkup and uh, the ultrasound, they actually couldn't see bracing very well at all. So um, we had a two week waiting period before we got to go to the specialist they referred us to. So they referred us to a specialist clinic um, that looks into to special cases. And this is during the COVID time. And my wife has to go in alone and I'm sitting waiting in the car. And she's going about an hour long ultrasound. And they call us in the room and they give us the options of, like you said, abortion or carry to full term and bracing would be stillborn. And in that moment, the only thing you can feel is, you know, complete empty and devastation. Um, like there's no hope and nothing can come of this of good. I mean, it's just empty and devastating is, is the words I'd use to describe it. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as I do, uh, medicine is not a hundred percent. And the problem is a doctor can only know what he knows. He can't know anything else. And obviously, you were seeing doctors at that time that didn't know any other options than those two. Otherwise, they probably would have presented them to you. Uh, so, you know, what did you do next? What did you do to overcome these hurdles? Right. So, you know, in those moments, um, I just asked the doctor, hey, can you get me... Because first off, the bilateral renal genesis, uh, to me, he was speaking a foreign language. So I didn't even know what that meant initially. So I said, hey, can you write that down on a piece of paper? And can you give me details on this diagnosis? And what does um, that mean for our listeners out there? Because, again, to them, it's going to be Greek. And we'd like them to know what it means as well. 
Right. You did a great job explaining it in the intro. So bilateral renal agenesis is the complete absence of both kidneys and potentially the bladder. And universally, it's been a 100% fatal diagnosis up until 2020. Um, there were some brave hospitals that were willing to go out on a limb and conduct a trial called the RAF trial. Um, and so what the kidneys do in bilateral agenesis, that's the reason it's fatal is because kidneys produce urine and in the uh, womb, urine is the amniotic fluid that Blake, that uh, babies swallow to develop their lungs. So it's fatal because they can't produce the fluid they need to develop their lungs. And therefore when they're born, they're unable to breathe. Um, and so that's what, you know, I guess overall what bilateral renal Genesis means and um, why it's been fatal in the past. And then for the trial that we enrolled Brayson on, um, what they do is they actually inject fluid to help him grow his lungs so that they can't survive. Yeah. So, so it, it, it's an interesting bunch of things. I, I mean, the reason kidneys don't develop is uh, partly genetic, partly because there are things that happen sometimes in utero. Sometimes they just don't develop for other reasons. And the difficulty in those kidneys is they are uh, essential for the life of the baby, as, as you explained, essential. So uh, what they've, what some smart doctors have said, well, maybe, maybe we can get around this. Maybe we can try to get around it by getting some other fluids in there so that the lungs can develop. And maybe we can take care of the kidneys in another way outside. Because if you and or I didn't have kidneys, uh, Tyson, what would, what would happen is we'd get dialysis. I mean, we would be hung, either, uh, we would be attached to a machine that fixed, that allowed us to, uh, function. Uh, that's external dialysis. Or uh, there's something called peritoneal dialysis, where a catheter is put into your tummy, and the the body then can uh, do the same things as your kidney does. Uh, so that is is the situation I think that was going on with your son, was it not? Yeah. Yep. You explained it beautifully, and um, so you know. We get him through the trial where they're injecting the fluid and he's born and his lungs are fully developed. He comes out kicking and screaming. And what they would like to do, because on infants, it's really invasive to do, you know, like put the machine in, like you said, with the hemodialysis that's pulling the blood out and putting it back in. Uh, on infants, that's really tough. Um, and so they, what they tried to do was peritoneal dialysis. So they put a, a peritoneal dialysis catheter in him uh, up front uh, the day he was born. And we like to let that rest for about 10 to 14 days. And we got to day 11 with Brayson. And unfortunately, uh, it was occluded. And what occluded means is basically just the holes in which fluid comes in and out. They were stopped up on the inside. And his peritoneal dialysis catheter uh, wasn't able to be used. And so that was, you know, life-threatening for him. Uh, and it required multiple surgeries um, to correct it. And eventually, we had to replace that catheter even get it to work properly. 
Yeah, and, and, and this is the difficulty, and, and I know with your son that you've been up and down multiple times. I mean, we had you scheduled for the podcast, but your son came down with with an a illness, and we had to cancel that because we wanted to make sure that he'd be okay. And, and this is, uh, unfortunately, the problem that you go on over and over again uh, in these situations because uh, when it when a child doesn't have their own kidneys, they're more prone to other infections and, uh, and other things going on in their life as well. Uh, am I summarizing that correctly, sir? Yeah, you're doing exactly right. So since he, he did a 225-day uh, stay at NICU's between Johns Hopkins and Baltimore, Maryland, and Tampa General, and Tampa, Florida, and after 225 days in the NICU's, he's able to come home. Uh, which was a big blessing on September 3rd. And we've been able to keep him home. And we've had a couple of hospital stays since then. So with Brayson being you know, a critical care infant um, and multiple medical devices uh, with the peritoneal dialysis catheter being included, you know, if he even spikes somewhat of a fever, you know, that's going to require a hospital stay for us uh, and for him because it needs to be monitored and everything needs to be watched very closely. And so, you know, I think it was in January when we were scheduled, um, he actually had COVID. He did really well through it, um, you know, even given not having kidneys, and we were able to come home after a four-day stay. Well, that's really good, and I'm very glad that he did very well with that. As you know, COVID is is a very difficult disease for even for healthy people. It can be very devastating, and uh, the number of people that have died because of it are an attestation to that fact that COVID can be very nasty for a lot of people. Yes, sir. That's right. Yeah. So what, because of your, your, your son's disability uh, and, and so on, uh, you have really tried to help others in this situation as well. And, and you founded a group called Silent Guardian Angels. C- can you speak to that a little bit and tell the listeners what that's all about? Yes, I absolutely can, Dr. Allen. And so Silent Guardian Angels, uh, the, what, what came first um, was the catheter uh, occlusion uh, after we got the catheter placed and we had to do two revision surgeries. After the second revision surgery, Brayson came back from the OR and it was brutal on him, um, you know, near death in, in the OR room and coming back. He just didn't look good at all. We, you know, we were lucky for him to make it through that. I just sat back in the chair and I told my wife, if there's any way we can make a difference, you know, for future children, you know, we're going to do that. And so initially what we started out on is to design a new catheter because I was like, okay, but I don't want future parents to go through is to have these occlusions and their catheters and their babies to have to have multiple surgeries because surgeries, you know, one surgery is hard enough when you keep going back for the same surgery, you know, that's, that's really tough on a family and the infant and the parents. And so we so started that project. Just, let me just stop for a minute uh, so that everybody understands. A catheter is just a tube. It's a tube that goes inside the body uh, in order to allow the proper fluids to go in in order for the dialysis to occur. Am I saying that correctly, Tyson? Yes, sir. That's, ex- that's absolutely right. Okay, good. So uh, this tube, unfortunately, doesn't always work right. And catheters are of various types. I mean, I, I'm a medical doctor and I've worked with all sorts of catheters throughout my lifetime. And the problem is they're, they're 
they run into problems quite often in the medical field. So the problem is when those catheters uh, break down or don't function properly, then you can't, they don't do the job they're supposed to, but plus they give a higher risk of infection when they break down. And that can be devastating for a child like yours. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, so now from that, you know, we started that project and I said, okay, once I get this project up and running, uh, how do I give back to families? And um, so we've been working that it's almost exactly a year now. And so in April, we began the process of starting Silent Guardian Angels. And um, we plan on using that nonprofit group to not only fund the catheter project, but also to give back to families that will, will face um, similar circumstances because um, we were basically told it was impossible. And by God's grace, we've been able to find that trial and go through all the medical um, journey Brayson's had and um, bring him out on the other side. And we want to be able to give back to families uh, financially and then also be there for them emotionally because it is absolutely uh, an emotional journey when, you know, you're going through circumstances like that. Yeah, I can understand that. And I can understand that being a big difficulty. Uh, now, did going back to the time when you were given those two options because of your child's uh, renal agenesis, uh, were those options, did the doctor then point you into another way of the trial or did you have to search that out yourself? Um, and that's a big reason we started the, the group too, is to get exposure out there. Um, and, and I'd never call this doctor by name, but I got the medical report from him and he, he only told us the two options. And then he did put a third option. It says could inject saline solution, but unlikely outcome possible. Uh, and the saline solution, those are the injections at Johns Hopkins. They actually were willing to try and do, and the doctor didn't present that third option to us. So we actually had to go do the research ourselves and find this medical trial um, on our own. And that's another reason we started is to lead families to another option um, if they needed to give them hope. Well, that's, that's frustrating. And, and I'm sure that that must've broken your heart and you had to go and find some knowledge there that you didn't have. How did you go about that? Because that's a very difficult path. Yeah, no, it was uh, a very difficult path. And obviously it's emotional. You know, we're both crying um, and we feel like, you know, there's no hope in that situation. But an interesting turn in our story, uh, this is, is related, but non-related. So I think it was we got Brayson's diagnosis on September 29th with the specialist, but backtrack two weeks around September 17th. My parents who live on the coast of Alabama live in a neighborhood with about 18 to 20 homes and the hurricane hit that community. And the only home that was damaged was my parents and they had to move out of their home and the home they had to move into actually had a nurse practitioner that was affiliated with a doctor who was a part of this trial. So my parents <laughs> get hit with the hurricane, <laughs> my parents get hit with the hurricane and it moves them into a home that sets this up for this trial. Um, so, I mean, you just, you can't align things like that. That's, you know, obviously a greater power out there that align those things to help guide us to where we need it to be uh, for that trial to save Brayson. Isn't that crazy? I mean, here yes, your sir. son is alive because of a hurricane that damaged your parents' house. 
that allowed you to get in touch with a person that had the knowledge that you needed. Yes, sir. I mean, you just, you can't make this kind of stuff up. It's a, it's a miracle. Nothing short of it. Oh, it has to be because how else would you have gotten that knowledge? I mean, certainly the internet is a great resource for that, but to search the internet, you need more knowledge than what you or your wife would have had. And, uh, you know, there are listings of studies at various places on the internet. But again, to even be able to research those studies, you need the knowledge of a doctor or a nurse or something like that in order to understand what those studies, what they are. Uh, you know, the language is, is so difficult to understand. As you said, the terms bilateral renal agenesis are very difficult terms to understand. Yes, sir. No, that uh, that is one hundred percent agreed. And and if you were to even Google search bilateral renal agenesis, you know you're not going to find a trial. You're going to find a, a lot of disappointing articles, letters, and you know images. So I, I don't recommend it unless you just want to find out more. But you know it's it's a sad diagnosis. But there has been hope now. Obviously, turn with the RAF trial. There is a hope and a future for these children now. Yes, and and again. Uh... A doctor can only know what he knows. And I'm, I'm not even sure if all doctors or a large percentage of doctors even know there is hope now. Uh, you know, it may be true at major medical centers where doctors are at the top of their craft and are, are communicating all the time and things like that. But I doubt very much that that knowledge is outside of that select group of people. Right. I think right now, last time I looked at the raft, so I think there's seven total hospitals in the United States that are on the program. Uh, yes. Only seven out of however many, you know, hospitals are in the U S that, that's what I mean. And, and certainly there is some cross communication and cross pollination, but I, again, I doubt very much that Everybody knows about it, and I doubt very much that even other medical centers know about it because uh, medical centers are a bit like silos. They stay in their own bit of information, and they don't always get outside of it. Okay, that's interesting. That's very interesting. How many hundreds of doctors and how many hundreds of medical centers are there in the United States? Thousands and tens of thousands. Oh, yeah. No, I, you put it in those terms. There's a lot of uh, word and uh, information to get out there to spread it to them. So that's, that's very good. Yeah. And, and I mean, that just started in 2020. I, I mean, it's only 2022. That, that's not a large <laughs> period of time for things to move onward. Right. And especially COVID lockdowns, it's even harder for, you know, sometimes information to get out there. Yeah, you know, and usually doctors would attend big medical conferences and those in certain uh, areas would get together and discuss. But I, I think with COVID, that transmission of knowledge has has decreased as well. Right. So how did you go about trying to develop a catheter, that tube that goes inside a person's body? Because that's a difficult thing as well. Right. And so uh, my background is nothing to do in medical. Uh, I have a business background and a financial planning background. And uh, so for me, I knew I had to go find the, the right team and the right people to surround myself with. 
And uh, I hired an, an engineering firm to help begin the drafts and drawings uh, and get my idea created into something that seemed feasible. Um, so that was the first step. And we created six different potential designs. And out of those six, you know, we went through each of the designs to find the catheter that we thought we could take to market, market the soonest, but also have a large impact. Um, and following that, what we've done now and we're in the phase of doing is getting the patent on the design. So a patent pending, and that'll take, you know, up to a year, um, to get that resolved. And we're also going with an FDA consultant and a, um, manufacturer to get prototypes built. So all that's after a year of getting the designs drawn and getting the team put together. Um, now we're going into the next phases of FDA approval prototype. Um, improvements and all that's due to putting a team together. We have a team of engineers, uh, FDA consultant, and then obviously the legal team to get the patent pending. Well, I must tell you that has to be a labor of love because each one of those steps is a very, very difficult step. I mean, putting the team together, getting the team organized, getting them to do the things that they should do to help, uh, making the prototypes, uh, finding the ones that will work and the ones that won't work, and, and then going and getting it through the FDA is another big hurdle. I, I mean, the FDA's goal is to protect the public from things that might harm them. And, and that's a good goal. You know, don't get me wrong. But it also puts a person that's a manufacturer such as yourself in a great disadvantage because you have to prove uh, that this tube is, is good and perhaps better than the ones that currently exist. Right. And uh, I think the FDA consultant said, you know, two to three years, you know, just be conservative about getting this thing to market because, and obviously I agree with that. You got to be safe for the general public and getting the testing done and, and proving the fact that this is a better product than what already exists on the market. And uh, so we'll jump through those hurdles and hopefully by 2024, uh, God willing sooner, you know, we'll have it out and about um, in the marketplace. Yes. And, and how are you going to go about testing this tube? Are you, how, do you have a plan for testing it in order to see if it's meeting what you think it is? Right. And um, we do. And the plan with it is to, first off, we're going to try to use as similar materials what already exists on the market. So we're proving it's safe to go inside the body um, so we can jump through those regulations pretty quickly. And then we'll have to do a series of animal testing. Um, so this was new to me and I'm learning through this experience too. But we'll be able to use facilities that have animals that may have kidney failure or kidney problems. And we'll be able to test it on them and use, obviously, um, a, 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 the already existing catheters and then do comparison on how it performed. Uh, was it equal or substantially better uh, than the already existing product? And from there, we'll be able to take our case and submit it to the FDA. Okay. After you do the animal studies, do you then have to do human studies as well? Studies in uh, various settings? Uh, I haven't got to that point with the FDA consultant yet. I just knew that the animal testing uh, was the first stop. Okay. So. I, I suspect you will, uh, being the doctor that I am and having worked with the FDA on various things in the past, I, I think you'll need to go to that step. So, so remember, this is a labor of love. You got to keep going. You got to do right. this 
for your son and for others that way, because there are a lot of hiccups along the way. Yes, sir. And, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll keep pushing through and we'll, we'll get it done uh, no matter what it takes. I mean, you know, that's the same mentality we have with our son, no matter what it takes, we were going to get to meet him. And so we did it and uh, we'll do the same thing so we can get it out there for other families and make it a little easier. Yes. And, and what I have to do is first applaud you, Ty, for going through these difficult steps and going through these difficult ways and, and finding problems and working with those problems. I mean, that is is truly a, a, a tenacity, it's grit, and you don't see that in everybody. I mean, many people would have just taken that diagnosis that your son was given and just said, well, that's the way it is, and, and bitten the bullet and said, okay, let's move on from there. You didn't allow that to happen. Right, and uh, I just, I think for me, it just came down to, my wife was so excited for the second kid and, you know, love her to pieces and thinking of the loss of a child. I just don't think that's something we wanted to encounter. And so, you know, I, and actually I can't take the credit. I mean, she's the one that really saved him because physically she went through the trial. I was just kind of there. It's her uh, support system. So I'm going to have to give her the credit for sure, because she physically went through the transfusions with him and I gave birth to him. Yes. Well, the, the, but the big thing is afterwards, now you are still involved in that process of trying to make things better for, for everybody as a result of your son's difficulties and problems. Yes, sir. Well, how can people find out more about Silent Guardian Angels and the projects that they're involved in? Yeah. And uh, so Silent Guardian Angels, we have a website that is Silent Guardian angels.com and you can do the contact us page or if you know of someone that's you know gotten the diagnosis of bilateral renal agenesis or something similar and they've not been given any hope with the diagnosis they could reach out to me directly uh, my number is 863-604-7885 Ty thank you very much for being on the show today thank you for sharing the information that you have I, I must commend you for the things you've done yeah, you certainly are a unique individual and a rock in this situation. Thank you so much, Dr. Allen, and thank you for having us. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope to talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic day.